Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am here today with one of my most prolific author friends, Mary DeMuth, to kick off our time together. And then during the second half of the show, I will introduce you to Kristen Klaus, She is a Redemption Press author of Healing Our Soul Gardens, Restoration and Wholeness After Sexual Abuse. So before I give a proper introduction, welcome, Mary, to the All Things Podcast. So great to be here, Humboldt. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. It's always a delight. So let me give a proper introduction. Mary DeMuth is an international speaker and podcaster. She's the novelist and nonfiction author of over 40, that's four zero, books, including her latest, which is, we. well, is, is it your latest? It's not my latest. Okay. Um, my latest is, let me, let me try to think of what it is. Uh, oh, it's called uh, Outrageous Grace Every Day, and it kind of fits in with what you're doing. It takes the reader on a 90-day devotional journey, journey through the book of Romans. So it's like a um, commentary and a devotional had a baby, and out came the book of Romans. So if people are stressed about Romans, they can read that. Ooh, nice, nice. And and I like that there's Romans 8.28 in there. Yes. Totally. Yes, that's why it fits. All right. Well, okay. So, but the church, the, um, the book we're going to talk about today is We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. Right. And that's, I just love you for being an advocate for those who um, can't speak up for themselves. And All right, let me finish the introduction because we're starting our conversation before I finish that. Uh All right, she loves to help people restory their lives. She lives in Texas with her husband of 29 years and is the mom to three adult children. You can find out more uh, about her at marydemuth.com or be prayed for on her daily prayer podcast, prayereveryday.show. And then uh, for sexual abuse resources, you can visit we2.org. So um, I am, I I'm, was thinking back the last, the first time I ever met Mary was, had to be what, 15 or 18 years ago at the Right to Publish conference in Wheaton. Yes, that was a very long time ago. We were both in very different places. Yes, we were. And <laughs> praise the Lord. Yes. <laughs> brought us out. Yeah. <laughs> so before we dig into your book, um, I would love to have you share your Romans eight twenty eight story with our listeners. Yeah, I um, in the book we too I do talk about my sexual abuse story, and I've shared it pretty widely. So if anyone's heard from me before, they've heard that I was um, molested at five for about a year by some teenage boys, but. The A28 story I want to share is is a little bit unrelated to that, and um, it's something I'm just barely starting to talk about and write about, and it's, it has to do with my biological father. He was a associate professor of English at the University of Washington. In fact, that's how he met my mom. He was her professor, and she was his student. And uh, he was deeply addicted uh, to sexual deviance, and beyond the boys that molested me, he was probably my primary abuser. And I just haven't talked about it very much lately. But what's interesting about that story is that he was probably the most, um, he was a poet and a photographer, very artistic. Uh, But whenever he wrote prose, it was 
deeply troubling and um, disturbing. And uh, just the kind of thing that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to read. It's just not good for you. And then his actions were deeply disturbing as well. And as I look back on his life, he ended up taking his life when I was 10 years old. In fact, I was living in Enumclaw at the time when I found out that, um, well, actually I was, it was a year before I went to Enumclaw, which is where you are, yes. uh, that I found out that my father had died. So I was real close wow. to getting to the place where I was living there. But, um, the redemptive part of that, and, and it's, again, it's not easy for me to share, but, um, my father was a prolific and amazing writer, far better than I ever will hope to be. Um, but he warped his gift mm. with um, degradation and just being more and more addicted to sex and violence and all of that. And so how I see this uh, God causing all things to work together for the good is I feel like the Lord gave me a little dispensation of my father's gift. Again, I feel like he's a better writer than I am, but um but now it's being used for the kingdom and it's full of light and it's, it's about exposing the darkness. And especially in We Too, where I'm talking about very uh, things that have been very hidden for a long time and I'm exposing it in a prophetic way. And so I feel like God has redeemed my story and he's used my words to be um, to use to heal myself, but also to heal others mm -hmm. in the very realm that my father was deeply addicted to. And so, you know, the, he was a, um, a creator and a purveyor of pornography before the internet. He was actively creating it. And, um, and so I think I, I feel like I have a unique story to share with particularly today's people because um, there's a whole generation of kids out there whose parents are addicted to porn and they don't have older people like me to shepherd them through. But I had a father who was addicted to porn and that and who created porn. Mm. And so I feel like I have this special um, anointing and pathway that I've walked to be able to help people with that. Wow. That I'm talking about using all, I mean, even that together for good. I mean, he wrote to build up satan's kingdom and here full circle you are write 40 books writing to build up god's kingdom and to and to help the very type of person that he prayed on wow yes and he did pray on many and mm. um part of my work of late is just trying to uncover all of that but um yes he had many victims wow well God is the only one that can, I mean, it just never ceases to amaze me how he can take things that are so dark and bring light and bring growth and healing out of them. It just, I, it just baffles me. That's how amazing our God is. Yeah. I look back on my story and I think, gosh, I should be like, a total addict to something <laughs> or yeah. I should be promiscuous or I should have killed myself or, I mean, I certainly thought about it, but um, I should be very deeply mentally troubled and yet here I am and I'm okay. And that's, that's the Lord. That's not me. Um, I think I do have a bit of resilience in me, uh, but mostly I think it's just Jesus rescuing me. Mm. Well, he has done an amazing job and <laughs> Yes, he gets the credit for it, but you also had to be a willing participant. And it's been, it's been wonderful to just watch you grow into, you know, through each one of these, you know, kind of, it's, it seems to have come in waves for you. And wow, that's amazing. So, so tell us about the Me Too book. Why did you write it? You know, what change do you hope it will inspire? Yeah, I wrote it because I felt like um, I felt like there were so many people out there who had the story and um, they haven't talked about it, and the church has been very slow to talk about it. And it, it was important for me just to shed light on the whole thing, and particularly for people who have been harmed within church. You've got this whole segment of the population leaving church because of the way the church has dealt with the sexual abuse crisis. Uh, the LifeWay study this last year in 2019, 10% of 30-somethings left the church because of this one issue. Wow. And so this is, a, this is a watershed moment for the church. And 
Um, I think the Me Too movement uh, probably sparked a lot more dialogue, but the truth is I've been talking about this issue since the 90s. And most of the time when I talk about it uh, back then, people were either exceptionally excited <laughs> and ran to me and told me their story, or they were horrified that I would actually speak of that in front of people. And now I'm seeing a shift where there's more of a willingness to talk about it. But I think there's a way that we can talk about our past in a redemptive way. I, one of the fears that I have about the Me Too movement is that people are sharing their stories for the first time, but they're not sharing them with someone who's trustworthy or safe. Mm. They're sharing them on social media, and that can really open you up for a whole bunch more harm. And so that's one of the cautionary tales I tell is just be, if you're going to share your story, which I think you absolutely need to do, share it with someone who's amazing and safe. Absolutely. Which the church, unfortunately, hasn't been for the most part. And we've been shamed like, well, what were you wearing? Or, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, just so much self-righteousness that has really, I mean, I, I'm so thankful for you speaking up and playing the part that you've played because there has been too much of uh, minimizing the victim and protecting the abusers. Right. And that's, you know, I think we, we wagged the finger at the Catholic church and tiss, tiss, tiss them. And we're like, oh, they're so terrible. Look what they've done. And we're just as bad. And so yep. I think we need to really um, be humble and repentant and look at like Nehemiah and the way that he prayed. When he prayed, he, he didn't do all those things that he prayed and asked for forgiveness of. He prayed on behalf of his nation. Lord, forgive us for this, forgive us for that, forgive us for that. Now that wasn't his story, but he still prayed. And we have to pray that as well. Lord, as a church, forgive us for turning a blind eye. Forgive us for preferring the perpetrator over the one who's perpetrated against. Forgive us for um, thinking this is an issue that no one should ever talk about. Forgive us for shoving it under the carpet. Forgive us for uh, not following up after um, pedophilic youth pastors and just letting them go from church to church. There's so mm -hmm. much repentance that needs to happen. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So how did, just let's paint the picture. How did Jesus respond to abuse victims? Right. I think that's just the best litmus test right there is to ask that question because I seriously doubt Jesus uh, asked the woman caught in adultery. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't shame her for the lack of clothing that she was wearing, most likely. Mm -hmm. um, he did not, uh, when he was in the discourse with the woman at the well, she'd had um, several husbands and he didn't, um, he didn't needle her about it. He just inquired. He had asked questions. And I think that's where we can land. We can be empathetic. We can be good listeners. We can um, lead with that empathy and ask the Holy Spirit to lead the conversation. Um, it's not our job to judge the person. God knows the whole situation 100% and we will never know it. Um, but we can certainly be a listening ear to offer to pray, to um, uh, be a resource like, oh, I will help you find counselors or, or whatever. So um, yeah, one of the things that I have on we2.org, if you go to we2.org slash pastors, plural, uh, there's a free PDF of hundreds of resources that you can give your friend um, who's going through this. Um, and these are all vetted by me. It's probably like 30 pages of different kinds mm. of resources. That's awesome. I love, I, I love that you pr always are providing value added content and real resources to help people heal, not just stay where they're at, but actually move forward. So, so why does the church so often miss the mark in its response to, to sexual abuse? I think it goes down to, to fear and um, particularly reputation. And, and if you peel back the layers enough. There's an economic reality underneath it all. Mm. A lot of sin has to do with economics. And so if you keep digging down, especially if there's a pastor that's harming people, it gets down to there won't be any more tithes and offerings. We'll lose our reputation. Uh, the church will fold. And instead of just thinking, well, yeah, that could happen, but the kingdom's bigger than that. 
yeah, that could happen, but what would it look like to actually um, bring this to the authorities to do the right thing according to the laws of the land, to provide um, uh, resources for the person who is perpetrated against um, to do the right thing? When I watch churches who do the right thing, it is it only makes me endeared to them. Mm-hmm. When I look at churches who cover up and think that that is the right way to do things, it makes me want to run 100 miles away. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it is, it comes down to trusting God and doing the right thing. And when you've got people who are abusers who are on your elder board or they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in positions of power and they use that position of power and in wrong ways, but they're also, you don't want to lose their money or their credibility or there's just so much that comes from not trusting God and being in denial. Well, I think what you had to say, and I know you've walked through this, um, is this power and control dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have, and I believe this is this is what God's doing right now in the, in the world in a prophetic way. He is leveling out the structures of the evangelical church, and he is tearing down these megalomaniac pastors who have all the control, and the whole structure teeters on this one person. And the problem with that is if that one person is power hungry, which I know you've walked through, um, once you take that person out, then there's no more structure or that person will protect their reputation or their piece of power at the detriment of every single person that opposes them. And those are untenable structures. And as far as I look at the New Testament in Acts chapter two, you do not see that kind of structure of church. You see this community, um, this commun, uh, not communism, but a, a communal way of looking at things where we um, are all kind of on the same level and we're selling our things and we're giving to the people and we're eating together, breaking bread. And there's not... Um, an excessive hierarchical structure. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are deacons and elders. Those are definitely talked about in the New Testament. And there has to be some sort of structure, of course. But in terms of having uh, one big person who's in control at the top, I think God's dismantling that and showing it for what it is. Hmm. Yep. There's too many narcissist pastors out there. I, I think he's like done with that. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. In the book, you talk about seven crucial misunderstandings that you found when people and churches face becoming safe havens. That's, that's a scary thing for churches sometimes, if, you know, especially if they've seen around them things falling apart. Right. So tell us about the last misunderstanding that you mentioned, which is misunderstanding what the church is. Yeah, it kind of gets to what I just talked about, that we think that the church is um, this kind of hierarchical structure, but it's actually a body of believers. And uh, we are fellow strugglers. We are people in need of a savior, and 100% of us need Jesus. Um, We are mercifully forgiven by him. Um, And as people who have been called out and healed and forgiven, uh, we now are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so the church is uh, this gathered body of broken people who are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And that means that when there is someone hurting, we all hurt. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt and we do something about it. Hmm. Instead of, I mean, it's awkward. I mean, for someone that's never gone through any sort of abuse like that, sure, it might feel awkward to hear someone share their pain or to even think that there could be someone within the church that has done that to somebody. But we have to get over ourselves and be able to be that safe person in the church to help other parts of the family. Well, you look at the discourse of Jesus and the woman at the well, I mentioned her earlier, that was the longest theological discourse that Jesus had with any human being recorded in scripture. And she was a marginalized woman who most likely was barren. And that's probably why she was divorced so many times. It wasn't that she was a promiscuous person, but there's a very strong likelihood that she couldn't produce offspring. And you'll notice in the narrative that never talks about that she has children. And so um, if 
if you can't produce offspring, you can, uh, your, your husband can give this certificate of divorce and you can keep getting divorced. So here's this woman who's broken mm. and Jesus spends all this time and they talk back and forth and have this conversation. Well, that's the model. We, we need to remember what it's like to listen and mm. to ask questions and to be curious and have this holy curiosity of the person we're sitting across from. Mm. Amen. Amen. So, okay. As a member of the church and a champion of the church and the large number of abuse survivors out there, what do you want abuse survivors to know? Well, of course, I want them to know that they're not alone. They're not crazy. I want them to know the thing I tell audiences all the time, an untold story never heals. So please let it out to that safe person. Don't let your first outcry be to social media. Let it be to a safe person. Um, I want them to know that things are changing. And I, even in this past year, had the opportunity to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and what they're doing. And they're not doing it perfectly, but they're doing something. And we're talking about this issue finally, and it's out there. I was at the Caring Well Conference um, which is an arm of the ERLC, the Evangelical or Religious Liberties Commission, something like that. Shows you how much of a Baptist I am. I don't even know how the acronym is. But there are 3,000 people, most of them male leaders. Mm. And as I thought about that, and as I had the opportunity to pray and speak there, I thought this is probably the largest gathering of evangelicals around the issue of sexual abuse in the history of the entire Christian church. Wow. Things are changing yes. and we can rejoice in that. Mm, that is good news. Okay. So as we wrap up, what I would love for you to do is just share one or two tips or tools that will help our listeners remember that God is going to, you know, he is always working and working good for those of us who love him and are called according to his purposes. So what can you share that will they can just walk away with and, and apply in their lives. Well, um, sometimes people will ask me, why are you close to Jesus? Or I wish I was close like that. And, and oftentimes I'll think about that. And I think, well, it's really because honestly, not because I'm awesome, but because God's awesome, but there is inside of me, this dogged pursuit of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement is to keep pursuing. Yes, there will be pesky questions to answer. Yes, there is the problem of evil that we have to work through. Absolutely. Yes, there are times of loneliness and discouragement. Yes, there are times where I've thought, will I ever get over this? Yes, there will be roadblocks, but Jesus is faithful. And as you doggedly pursue him, he will be found by you. Um, I don't have any sort of sage advice other than to run to Jesus and, um, and then to make use of the tools that are available out there. So there's some amazing books available and they're on that, that resource page. Um, I've got a, also a free tool. If you go to we2.org slash 21 days, I'll send you 21 letters, one a day for 21 days about everything I've learned about the healing process. Um, and that could be very helpful as well. And then counseling, of course, and um, people praying for you and all of that. I'm, I'm kind of a prayer hog. Whenever I'm <laughs> broken and needy, I'll say, would you pray for me? Because I believe that uh, the lion's share of my healing has come because people have prayed for me. Mm. True, true, true. I, and I have to, I have to echo that, that I, I, not a week goes by that someone doesn't say, you know, back in those days when you were in the dark, I was praying for you mm -hmm. and uh, thankful for that. Yeah. So, okay. If we have some people listening today and they want to connect with you online, what, where are you most active? What's the best place to find you? Probably the best two places are Twitter and Instagram. And it's the same. It's at Mary Demuth. Uh, D-E-M-U-T-H. Uh, those are the places I interact the most. And then any sort of resources you want, um, go to we2.org and you'll find everything there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I know how busy you are and I just, it's just always a delight to have a conversation and just glean the wisdom that God has given you through all of the struggles that he has redeemed for his name. Thank you so much, Athena. 
We live in tenuous times, so how will we as writers and communicators rise to the challenge? As women of faith, we have the opportunity to shine in the face of uncertainty. We believe now more than ever, Christian women like yourself who have a message of hope need to be empowered to tell your story. So to meet this need, Redemption Press is offering an online conference. She writes for him, Now is the Time, with three full days and 33 publishing industry professionals ready to train and serve you to strengthen and sharpen your message. Mark your calendar May 14th to the 16th and join us for a hands-on, resource-packed event you won't want to miss. Visit SheWritesForHimConference.com and sign up now. So here we are for the second half of the show today with Redemption Press author Kristen Klaus, who is also the founder of the Restore Movement. Her book is titled Healing for Our Soul Gardens, Restoration and Wholeness from Sexual Abuse, which is the perfect augment to our first interview today with Mary DeMuth. So welcome to the All Things Podcast today, Kristen. Oh, thank you for having me, Athena. Oh, you bet. Now, before we jump into our conversation, I want to give you a proper introduction Kristen's story is one of redemption, healing, and restoration. As a child and teen, she experienced sexual abuse and addiction. And as a young adult, she had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, her Savior, and her life was forever changed. Kristen is a licensed counselor and pastor who answered the call to journey with women as they discover freedom healing and restoration from life difficulties through the power of our savior she's the author of as i mentioned healing for our soul gardens restoration and wholeness from sexual abuse she is the wife uh, and mother of two married adult children and three beautiful granddaughters all of whom she absolutely adores she is a conference and retreat speaker teacher mentor and leader to women She's a storyteller and uses illustrative examples to impart life, freedom, and healing to many. Kristen feels the calling and purpose in her life to walk with others through the restoration seasons in their lives. And she truly believes and knows God has done amazing things in her life, and she is no different than anyone else. God has healed, restored, and raised her to be able to, to be who and what he created her to be. She sees this for every woman God allows her to minister to as well. God is the great counselor and physician, and he really, truly can turn all things around for his glory. So her story is a total Romans 828 story <laughs> and is proof of that. So let me just share a few little known facts about Kristen. She has an AA degree in theater and dance, and she founded a Christian dance school through her church when she lived in California. She loves to garden, create through a variety of art forms, although she doesn't claim to be very good at them. She loves milk, chocolate, and caramel. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And is a tea drinker with lots of honey, all caffeine-free for sure. She recently relocated with her husband to the most amazing house in Paris, Kentucky, and loves antique shopping and finding uh, a good deal. So I am just so excited to have you on the podcast today, Kristen, and just, I mean, I can just tell you're going to have such an impact on those who are listening. So here we go. Um, Before we jump into your book, I would just love to have our listeners just hear your Romans 828 story. Well, as as mentioned in my bio, um, my Romans 828 story is about 
my childhood, my teen years, and my young adult years. Um, I was raised by a single parent and um, was a latchkey kid before that was a, an official term. I am a little bit older than, um, I'm in my 50s, so that wasn't a term back then. And um, that led me to just to be um, vulnerable to a lot of things. So there were some neighborhood kids that, um, there was actually a couple of them that started to sexually abuse me. They were a family and that went on for two years and, um, and then we moved and that stopped once we moved. And when I was 14, I was out with some friends and they left me at a house with one of the men that was with us and, um, they didn't come back. And that night turned into my absolute worst nightmare. I can't believe that I am alive when I look back. I was in amazement the next morning that I was alive and free. And um, that propelled me into drugs and alcohol. I didn't know Jesus then, um, but Jesus knew me. And I see that now. And um, when I was 21, I was an absolute mess. I was a drug addict. Um, I was suicidal. My life was falling apart. And I remember sitting on the bathroom floor with a bottle of pills in my hand and saying, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. And I called a friend and um, went to church with her. And um, on a, a little church on the house church on the west side of Santa Cruz, I asked Jesus into my heart and um, gave God permission to come in and transform me, to heal me and restore me. I invited him into my mess. Mm. And he came in and transformed me. And I stand back in amazement at the deep healing that he has done in my life. And I am forever grateful. Mm. And the fact that you now are a counselor and help other women with their abuse issues and struggles and pain and wounding talk yeah. about full circle Romans eight twenty eight that he could use that pain in your life yeah to minister to others yes I believe that that when that any situation we face in our life that God can be glorified in it. And that became my focal prayer besides healing. And I believe that God uses what the enemy means to destroy us mm. as a um, diving board, so to speak, to propel us into um, a future, a life where we can minister to others. And because he has redeemed me, because he has healed me, because he has restored me, he can now use me to go back to where the enemy meant to destroy me and to grab the hands of others and bring them to Jesus and say, here, this is where your healer is. This is mm -hmm. where your redeemer is. This is where you're going to get restored. And I feel that is the greatest honor. And I'm forever grateful in what God has done in my life. And I want to see that for everybody else. Hmm. Well, and, you know, as I thought about our conversation today and everything that's going on in the world and, you know, we're all having to stay home and have all this downtime. And I just, I can't imagine the ripple effect it's having on so many women out there who are still hurting from yeah. a lifetime of trying to push away that pain mm -hmm. and not really letting it be healed by our healer. Yeah. So what are you finding as, as being in ministry and, and as the restore movement works with women who want that healing from Jesus um, what are you seeing the ripple effect as right now? What I'm seeing is that we keep ourselves busy to not deal with the issues in our life. Mm -hmm. And um, that our society in general is an extremely busy society. And 
as the pause button has been hit in our life and we are all on pause, um, we fear the things that we need to face. And um, I always use illustrations. And one of the illustrations I use is Tom and Jerry cartoon. And Tom, um, the cat is always chasing Jerry. And one particular one, Jerry ran in front of a light and it was a floodlight. And Tom came running around the corner and there was this huge shadow of a monster that was up on the wall. And Tom was fearful that a monster was coming after him. And that's how I view what has happened to us, the abuse. Mm. And that it creates this image of this huge monster that overtakes our life. But it's really just a, a spot in the totality of our life. But it becomes our definer. It becomes our value and our identity. And we need to see it for what it is and that it is, it is big, it is hurtful, it is a great thing in our life that is overwhelming, but in the totality of our life, it is just a portion of our life. And God wants to heal us and restore us, and he can't do that if we're too busy. Mm. And so as that pause button is hit, um, we need to not fear the memories. We need to not fear the thoughts and the anxiety that come up. Um, we need to get help. And Jesus can walk us through this with help with counselors, um, advisors, um, spiritual leaders, so that we can get that deep healing that we need. But we need to not fear it because Jesus is with us right there in that memory. Mm. And, and, you know, I just hear these statistics of um, alcohol sales are like up 55%. And, you know, it's so much easier when you're in this place where it's, you know, it is on pause, but not because we push the pause button. It's being yes. done to us. Yeah. And if we don't want to face it, we'd rather self-medicate or escape that pain that is bubbling up and that's the last thing we need to do we need to embrace that and allow God to work yes absolutely in fact there's there's a technique that I teach people in my counseling practice called um, there's grounding techniques and it's called five four three two one and um, a few months ago God gave me this um, a new way of looking at it and not realizing that when I would start releasing it would be right now during this time. And the five, four, three, two, one is using your five senses to get grounded back in the here and now when you have trauma, memories, anxiety, or fear triggering. And mm -hmm. so I'm using that in a different way called grounding in Christ and um, five Psalms read five Psalms. Um, four things that you're thankful for, three worship songs a day, two-way conversation with Jesus. And this next week, I'm releasing the memorize one scripture a week. And that if we do those things, when our trauma memories, anxiety, and fear is triggered, it's going to get us back in the here and now, but it's also going to ground us in Christ. Because mm -hmm. the only way we can go through our memories is if we have ways to get us back into the here and now and grounded. And what better way to do that than being grounded in Christ and in his work. It's powerful. That's yeah. that five, four, three, two, one. That's really good stuff. So, uh, that on your restore movement page, is that where you're doing that? That's actually on my personal page at kristenklaus.com. Okay. Yeah. And Thanks. I have infographics with it as well. Awesome. That is so good. So explain to us what shame-led thoughts are and, and how they affect our identities. Shame is like a cruel dictator who limits growth and truth into our life. I, I view it like a vine that wraps around a tree and takes the life out of it. And shame tells us who we are and it attaches itself to, to us and and it tells us that we 
are broken, that we are dirty, that nobody loves us, that we're unlovable, that it's our fault, um, that something's wrong with us, that we're no good and or we're a bad person. And so shame-led thoughts are defeating thoughts. They're thoughts that make us want to isolate and separate from others. And they're not truthful thoughts. They're based on um, our experiences that we've faced in our life or what words that others have spoken to us that we have believed to be truth. And so we need to lear learn to recognize, oh, that is, that's not truth, that's shame. Instead of um, recognize that and instead of believing that, focusing on what does God wor God's word say we are and who we are and begin to have those faith-led thoughts instead of shame-led thoughts. Mm. So I, it seems to me like shame is just like the, the biggest emotion overall when it comes, when we've been sexually abused. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that comes from those, it, I mean, if they're not said to us by those who abuse us, who of course they will say those things so they don't feel as so bad they're they're trying to put it off on the victim yeah but i think the enemy comes in with those shame lies as well oh absolutely absolutely um it's a combination they work hand in hand together to just to try to destroy us and stop us from being who god created us to be mm. they try to define our value instead of us recognizing who our value is through, and that's through Jesus. Amen. So, so what is the difference? Because we, you know, most people struggle to some degree with shame. Yeah. What's the difference between shame and guilt? So guilt is associated with an action. So somebody does something that they know they shouldn't and they feel guilty, right? You know, you go into a store, you take a piece of candy um, and you leave without paying it for it. That's something you've done. And so it's a guilt is associated with a sin. Shame goes much deeper than guilt. And the thing about the ivy vine is it also can, if it's allowed to go um, uncontrolled in, in, a, in a garden, it can get into the foundation of a home and separate the house from the foundation. And what it does to us is it gets into our core belief of ourself. It gets into the foundation of us. And it says that our identity and that who we are is no good, worthless, and says damaging and destructive thoughts. So Shame is really, I know we define shame as an emotion, but it's really a mindset and a perception believed to be true about our identity of who we are and who we're not as a person. So it takes root into our core belief and it tells us what our value is or lack of value. And so we need to go in and recognize this is a wrong mindset and wrong perceptions that we're believing to be true about us. What happened to me? I am not guilty of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. So I do not need to repent for what happened to me. I was the victim of what happened to me. But shame tells me that I am to blame. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing and separating the two helps me to understand, oh, that's a shame-led thought. That's not truth. You're telling me it's my fault, but it's not my fault. I was a child. I was a 14-year-old with somebody who ended up, found out later, being 30 years old, who held me against my will. I was not to blame for that. Was I in the right place? No, I wasn't. But I was naive. And no is no in all situations. And so shame told me it was all my fault and that I wasn't worth living because I was dirty and broken. 
And that wasn't truth. So once I began to separate the two of them, I began to recognize, oh, I'm not to blame for this. He is, or they are. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in your book, you mentioned that fear and shame go hand in hand. Can you expand on that a little bit? So shame is based on um, secrets. So if I can keep... um, Shame causes me to not tell anybody what really happened to me. So it causes me to keep everything in secret. And there's a fear that if you really knew me and what happened to me, because I'm dirty and I'm broken, then you're not going to like me. So I keep everything in secret, just like Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. They didn't want um, to tell him what happened. They were embarrassed to face God in his presence. And the truth was God saw them all along. And the root of secret keeping is shame. So it's not for our benefit or protection. It keeps us in bondage and it blocks the healing process. So when we break the power of secrecy in our life, from the things that have happened. Now, this doesn't mean we have unhealthy boundaries and we tell anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we need because that's another side to abuse is um, our borders are taken down and we don't have good boundaries with people. So we either overshare um, or or we or isolate or isolate. Yeah, we do yep. extreme ends, and um, but finding healthy people in our lives that we can talk to that help us walk through it and begin to empower us. And with each person, we begin to say, this is what happened to me. And they're healthy people that help us walk through it. We begin to get stronger and stronger. And shame is being broken off of us with each step that we take. That's so good. So, okay. Your story includes sexual abuse. So speak to the women who are listening who have soul wounds from sexual abuse and, or really any type of abuse in their, in her history. What words of life and encouragement would you say to her today? For first off, I would say we are all the same um, to God. No one is greater than the other. And because of this, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God can heal those deep soul wounds. I'm no different than you. Our stories may be different, but we serve the same God. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if God can do that miraculous healing that he did in my life, I know he can do the same for you. And that no one is beyond repair. It may feel that way. It may feel that it is too scary, too hard, too big of an obstacle or mountain to face. God truly is here today to walk you through that healing process. And the very thing that the enemy meant to destroy you, God will anoint you to minister to others in that same area when you find healing. But healing is possible. So let God into those broken places. Just like we have to let a doctor come in when we have a severe broken um, bones. It's, it hurts, but we know we have to go to the doctor and have that doctor repair and fix those bones. We need to trust God and allow God to do the deep work within us so we can get whole and complete. And I know it hurts. I know it's scary, but our God is a gracious God and he walks us through in our timing and lovingly and gently walks us through each and every process of the healing. Amen. Okay, so we're almost out of time. Let's wrap this up with one or two tips or tools that will help our listeners remember that God is working all things together for good. Yeah. um, I just a couple, a 
couple of things I've already shared already, so I'll just say them real briefly. Um, there are keys to breaking shame in our life. And the first one is break the power of secrecy. We just talked about that. Um, Joshua 1.3 says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. And as we break that power of secrecy, that's what God's doing is he's restoring life to us. The second thing, which we also talked about, we need to recognize shame for what it is and what it's not. The difference between shame and guilt. The third thing is we need to start speaking God's word in our life and over our life. We need to create new grooves and new pathways in our thinking process. And the only way we can do that is by doing it over and over and being very purposeful, like a bike on a dirt pathway. If I fall, if I go the same way I've always gone, I go into the same grooves. I've got to create new grooves on that dirt pathway with my bike. And that's what we have to do in our brains. And so quoting scriptures, speaking scriptures, praying scriptures over our life of who God says we are breaks that power of shame. And the fourth thing is praying. I prayed for years, 20 plus years. I have prayed almost every day. Lord, I bind my mind to the mind of Christ. I bind my mind to your truth, to your will and purpose for my life. I ask that your thoughts be my thoughts. And I pray that you would shatter and destroy the wrong patterns of thinking in my life. Replace them with your truth. And I have prayed that day after day after day. And that has been, those four things have been some of the most powerful things in my life of bringing tr change and transformation to me. Mm. I love that. Okay, so if we've got some women listening today and they want to connect with you online, where's the best place to find you? They can find me on Facebook. I That's probably where I'm at the most. Um, and it's um, author, um, Kristen Klaus, author and speaker. I'm also on Instagram, author Kristen Klaus. But if you want to talk to me, um, Facebook is probably the best place to find me um, as well as my website. But I'm on Facebook the most. Perfect. Well, it has been an absolute delight to have you on today. And I just love your heart and love the way God is working through you. You know, all that brokenness uh -huh. to see God using it with such redemption. It just blows my mind. I love it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having me, Athena. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.